Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato, founder and fitness coach of Thrivology in Alexandria, Kentucky. Today we will be wrapping up our conversation on Stolen Focus, Johan Hari's book, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. Thus far, we've gone over five big ideas. We'll complete our our 10 total big ideas, excuse me, that we'll be reviewing. So that means we'll go over five today. So far, the ideas that we've talked about have revolved primarily around technology and how technology has shifted our behavior and changed the way that we are able to focus, are able to think, are able to pay attention. Now, these last five big ideas are primarily going to be focused on other ideas outside of technology. Like I said at the beginning of all of this, it is not only technology that is deteriorating our focus. Yes, that is a big shift that has happened over the course of the last couple of decades, and especially, I believe, the last three years since the world shut down and we all were stuck inside for some amount of time. And at any rate, I feel like that that shift has definitely changed our way of thinking and our ability to focus. But nonetheless, technology has been a big pusher and a big driver in our behavior and in our attention. Um, but that's not all. There are other factors, of course, that play into it, and those are worth looking at as well. So we'll look at our final five nuggets of wisdom today. Um, if you like these notes for Stolen Focus and for any of our future book reviews, currently this is the only one that you'll find, you can go to thrivology.us slash goodwolfbooks, and you'll be able to find not only the podcasts for that specifically, but also the download link to be able to get these notes. So let's start with idea number six. Idea number six is keep your SDP under control. Keep your SDP under control. So SDP stands for stress, diet, and pollution. Stress, diet, and pollution. So these are three factors. Each one of these I don't want to say, and I can't recall if each one gets a chapter in the book, but I'm kind of like compressing some ideas in here into one specific big idea. Uh, stress plays a very high role in focus. When we are stressed, we become hypervigilant against things that... Um, things that are fearful, if you will. In other words, we become on the lookout for things that we would deem as bad. So when you're stressed, you have a higher tendency to find negative uh, attributes in other people. You have a higher tendency to have a negative interaction. And there's just a higher tendency to have a negative lifestyle in general when you're overly stressed. You, you just become more hypervigilant you pay more attention to negative things, and that's just the way that things are. That, at the same time, reduces your ability to focus on life overall. Like we talked about previously, I think, I believe it was in the last episode, from an evolutionary standpoint, it made sense for us to pay attention to the negative things around us. Not negative things, but it made tensions. Pay, it made sense for us to look for things around us that could harm us. 
because we potentially could have lost our lives. Well, now we don't have any of that around us necessarily. Of course, if you, you have to pay attention like when you're crossing a street because if you get hit by a car, then you're going to lose your life. But we don't have lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. We just have people, mostly. Uh, and while people are, every human being on earth is different than you, that doesn't necessarily make them bad and an annoyance. But when we are stressed, we will find those. We lose our ability to focus on the good things in life. We lose our ability to pay attention in general, not lose it, but our ability to uh, focus and pay attention is reduced whenever we're stressed because we're so busy. We're hypervigilant looking around for negative things. So stress plays a gigantic part in our focus and in our focus ability. Diet also plays a big part in this as well. So frankenfoods are what make up the majority of most people's diets. Frankenfoods are simply foods that are ultra processed. If you've listened to any other of our podcasts on any kind of nutrition, whether it's the calories, counting calories series, or whether it's the burning calorie series, um, we've talked about frankenfoods in the past. Anything that's ultra processed is basically anything that you're going to find in a box um, or in a bag. A lot of these have sugar in them or have high amounts of carbohydrates in them. When you eat things that have high amounts of sugar or high amounts of carbohydrates, especially when they don't have other nutrients in them to slow the absorption of those down, like protein, then what happens is your blood sugar will spike very drastically and then it will fall and crash very drastically as well that spike and fall roller coaster reduces your attention ability and if you think about how a lot of people tend to uh, deal with their focus and their energy throughout the day what happens a lot of times is when your energy starts to crash you'll go and reach for something sugary to bring it back up or to boost it back up, whether that's a Snickers bar or whether that's a handful of M&Ms or even if it's some sort of cracker, like wrap of cracker things or whatever. What we're trying to do is bring our energy back up, which is going to happen, but it's only going to happen for a short period of time. And then our blood sugar is going to crash again. And then our focus is going to crash along with it. So getting out of that cycle is very important. We've talked somewhat in depth about this in the past, so I'm not going to go super deep into it, but it does make sense that anytime you eat, you should have protein at every meal because protein is going to slow down the absorption of any kind of carbohydrate. Generally speaking, meals should be the things that you eat. Snacks should not necessarily be a thing. If you are a snacker, try and snack primarily on like veggies maybe on some fruits, maybe on some nuts. But other than that, most other quote-unquote snacks are going to affect your blood sugar and reduce your ability to focus. That's why when you eat, you should primarily eat meals, not snacks. Um, a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, but something we're thinking about. Another thing that happens with frankenfoods is low nourishment. So there's a difference between just nutrition and being nourished. Being nourished implies that you're eating something with high levels of vitamins and minerals in it that are actually feeding your body the things that it needs to do the metabolic processes to keep your immune system boosted, 
to keep you functioning at a high level, to keep your focus at high alert and all that good stuff. When something is processed, vitamins and minerals are stripped from that thing, no matter what it is. They are usually then fortified with other kinds of vitamins and minerals or the vitamins and minerals that are stripped from them. But those fortified versions of them, your, body's, your body cannot use as readily or as easily as the natural versions that were stripped in the first place. So when you eat frankenfoods a lot, you are eating low-nutrition foods, high-calorie but low-nourished foods, and low-nourishing foods then will reduce your ability to focus because your body's not getting the vitamins and minerals that it wants to sharpen your focus, if you will, or to keep your blood sugar at a constant level or to do the metabolic processes that it needs or to enhance your nervous system or whatever the, whatever the thing is. So again, as much as you can, anytime that you can focus on eating a whole food versus any kind of processed food, all foods are processed. Let's be sure about that. But when I say processed, I mean, ultra processed frankenfoods that are they act like foods, but they are actually not foods. They may look like foods, walk like two foods, and talk like foods, but they're actually not foods. Crackers, chips, things of that sort, anything that comes in a box or in a bag or something to that effect. So um, that I don't take up too much more time with that because we have a number of things to get through. I'm going to move on, but it's worth remembering. Um, okay, finally, Pollution. Pollution also plays a high factor in our ability to focus. There was one research study that he, uh, that Johan quotes in the book, um, living by a polluted or living by a, a popular road or a high traffic road increased the risk of dementia by 15%. Um, that statistic alone kind of, I don't want to say it's, you know, uh, correlation is not causation per se, but nonetheless, there are many pollutants and environmental toxins that we take in regularly. And the more we can reduce those, the less they will get clogged and they will clog our brains up, if you will. Okay. Um, so that is keep your SDP under control. And since I don't want to spend too much more time on that one, we're going to go ahead and move to number seven. Number seven is cage living equals ADHD. So these next two, Yes, these next two nuggets of wisdom are primarily around children, but they can be very much correlated to adults as well. So cage living equals ADHD. So between the years of 2003 and 2011, the uh, diagnosis of ADHD rose by 43%, which is a pretty drastic number. Um. Over the course of that time, 2003 to 2011, was also kind of the rise in popularity of certain technologies. Now, again, I'm not blaming technology primarily on the rise of ADHD, but what I want to do is look at where we believe ADHD is coming from. The big contention is, is between biology and between the environment, essentially. So does ADHD come from biology from within us, or does ADHD come from the environment around us? In one of the big studies that has been done that Johan references is the book in the book was in a, uh, long, a 30 year longitudinal study 
uh, on attachment and development done by a guy named Alan Shroof, S-R-O-U-F-E. There were 200 participants in the study that they followed for 30 years. Pretty significant, a long, significant amount of time, hence the name of the study, long, a longitudinal study. Uh, one of the questions that they asked during the study was, what causes attention issues? And they found what they found. I'll go ahead and get straight to the point. Um, neurological status didn't help to predict attention issues. Surrounding context, surrounding context, excuse me, is the most important factor. In other words, it is the environment around the child that was the most important factor to the development of attentional issues. Now, the idea of ADHD as a biological issue is very uh, easy to fall into, if you will. So Johan gives three examples of caged animals and how these caged animals were then given a stimulant drug called Ritalin, and then they calm down, which is why we make the connection of ADHD to uh, biology, if you will. Um, he gives a, an example of a dog, a horse, uh, a dog that was just hyperactive and couldn't sit still, and a horse that does, did a thing called cribbing. Apparently, this is when a horse starts to like chew at the fence that they're caged in or whatever. And then a child who had was diagnosed with ADHD. All of these things were given things. All of these beings were given uh, Ritalin. Maybe it wasn't Ritalin precisely, but it was something of the sort, and it worked. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, dogs are meant to be outside. They're meant to be out running around. The recommendation is for a dog to be outside unleashed for at least an hour so that it can burn up its energy. Um, dogs are simply, they come from wolves. Like if you look back, geez, old Peach Jana making noise back there. I apologize for her. Sometimes she just gets out of hand and starts throwing things around. Um, dogs came from wolves. If you follow the lineage of dogs, it goes back to wolves. I don't know, thousands of years ago. I don't couldn't tell you exactly when. Um, but nonetheless, dogs are supposed to be outside. So yes, of course, dogs are going to get antsy. Horses, same thing, are meant to be out running around. And when they get caged up, they get this cribbing complex where they tend to chew on whatever it is, you know, the cage or whatever they're in, because um, they're probably trying to get out. Kids are meant to be out running around, and kids want to be out running around. And when they're caged up in a chair or sitting, even sitting in front of a, sitting in front of a, a video game for too long, not too long, many of them sit for long, long periods of time, um, they're inner drive to be out and be playing is going to show up as hyperactivity. So while biology as the cause of ADHD seems like the thing to move to, it's really mostly the environment. And that is brought about, I'll go ahead and show or to bring up the statistics from the studies on stimulants and how they affect ADHD. So while we use things like Ritalin and other stimulants like it to improve ADHD, we can improve ADHD in a same manner by simply giving guidance on how to improve behavior, 
one study uh, was a 14-month study. One group was given, I believe it was Ritalin. Another group was just given guidance on how to improve their behavior. The Ritalin group improved their test scores by 1.8%. The guidance group improved their test scores by 1.6%. So you can see the difference between the two is not all that drastic. We can guide ourselves into better attention if we are only patient, which leads me to the next important point. Number eight is all work and no play makes Johnny a dull kid. Speaking of sitting around and not doing much, let me take a quick drink before I keep blattering on. Hey guys, I want to take a second to tell you about our online lifestyle development program, Good Wolf Academy. If you're looking to level up your health and fitness in any way, Good Wolf Academy is where it's at. We all need help in our nutrition, and one of the big aspects of Good Wolf Academy are our monthly nutrition lessons. These are 15 to 20-minute lessons done by our nutrition coach, Trevis. She goes over some topics to help clarify some things so you don't feel as confused about what's going on in nutrition world. Also, you get a weekly movement lesson from Coach Sharon, where she's teaching you the importance of movement and some basic ways to improve your movement throughout the day so that you can get yourself feeling better. This is also supported by a movement practice Monday through Fridays. Those movement practices are there to nudge you to get up off the couch and get yourself moving because sedentary living is killing us and we need to move more. You also get two optimized recipes to help enhance your diet, enhance your nutrition, make those healthy things taste more tasteful because we all feel like healthy needs to be bland. That's not true. Healthy things can be very tasteful and these optimized recipes are there to help you. Also, we have mastery programs that are included. They are included in your Good Wolf Academy membership. This is not to be understated because these mastery programs can range anywhere from $100 to over $250 as a standalone program, but they are included as long as you are a member of Good Wolf Academy. Finally, do not overlook the importance of surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And the Good Wolf community is there to support you in the Good Wolf feed. Whenever you have any issues or you feel like you need to create a bond, put yourself, put a post out into the Good Wolf feed and you'll get a lot of good feedback. Also, the coaches are there to ask or answer any of the questions that you have whenever you need any clarification. So don't wait any longer. You can try Good Wolf Academy absolutely free for two weeks. For two weeks, if you go to thriveology.us slash Academy, you can get started absolutely free, two weeks, and it is only $35 a month after that. Go get started today, and I look forward to seeing you in the Academy. Okay. All work and no play makes Johnny a dull kid. So some statistics on what the average child does in a day. This is not including school, by the way. Uh, the average child spends two to three hours a day doing homework, spends five to eight hours a day looking at a screen, spends about an hour a day doing structured sports, and spends on average four to seven minutes a day doing unstructured play. That doesn't include schooling, in which they are spending what is it, eight hours at school 
sitting and not doing much of anything, but, you know, learning, which is certainly important. But I want to put the emphasis there on unstructured play. So there's an idea in the book that Johan brings up called it, not called, but um, that is the deprivation of play. The deprivation of play, as he shows, can lead to five potentially um, disempowering outcomes for the child. Number one is self-regulation and executive function. When we have play and we're willing and we're and we're going out to do unstructured play, this is not sports. This is not something that you're that the parents put together for them. This is something they're just going out and just playing whatever, whatever they're doing. They develop their ability to self-regulate and they develop their prefrontal cortex, their executive function, if you will, because they, they feel like they have control over the, the uh, situation. Um, also their socialization abilities their ability to collaborate and their ability for creativity are diminished whenever they don't have a lot of unstructured play. Uh, we, we just, we are surrounded by people. We need to be able to work with people. When kids get out into the workforce, they're going to be surrounded by other people and they're going to learn how to work. If they're not ever put into a position where what they're doing is not controlled by quote unquote adults, I put that in quotes for a reason. But um, where what they're doing is structured by adults, then they, ha they never have the opportunity to develop the ability to learn how to collaborate on an, a completely unstructured, completely off-the-wall basis. Like just who's doing what, who's doing where, where's the hierarchy? Like we, we all are in higher like. Someone needs to be the person that comes up with the idea, and then this person needs to be the person that goes and executes the idea, and then you go do this. Like, just to be, be able for kids to be able to go and do that is very important. And when they don't have that, uh, that unstructured play, they lose that ability or don't have the ability to create that. Uh, coping mechanisms, also a big thing that they lose. Um, Dealing with failures, dealing with rejection, overcoming obstacles, learning how to problem solve. Like when you're in an unstructured setting or when a kid is in an unstructured setting, there's going to be a high likelihood that Johnny doesn't get picked to play the game or he's last to get picked to play the game or, you know, whatever, whatever it is happens. Like that's, that is a normal thing. It happens in life and because of that, we need to learn how to deal with that. And the earlier we learn how to deal with that, the better off that we're going to be. And we're, when we're not able to just have unstructured play, that is taken away from us. Um, intrinsic motivation. Most of what kids do until the age of like 20 is extrinsically motivated. In other words, it's done because they're told to do it and because their parents either make them do it or encourage them to do it. Be that go to school, be that sports, be that dance, be that whatever it is. Now, granted, of course, most kids, I think a lot of kids enjoy sports, at least to a point. But the problem now is kids are starting sports so early and doing a single sport so often that they get burnt out before they get even out of high school. I see this because 
I'm the strength conditioning coach at a local high school. It, it just, because we start them so early, because we, we're trying to get them to, you know, whatever, be good at the sport, or maybe we're trying to get them physically active, whatever the thing is, whatever our intentions are, whenever we start them either too early or, and, or we make them focus on the same sport for a long period of time, their, their ability to pay attention to that sport diminishes pretty drastically. And their intrinsic motivation to want to keep doing it is diminished very quickly that just as adults want to be intrinsically motivated and they don't want to be told what to do. Kids want to be intrinsically motivated as well. They want to want to do the things and unstructured play is a thing that they want to do. They want to go out and come up with ideas and build clubhouses and play dolls and this, that, and the other thing. And if they don't have the ability to do that, then they're not giving the ability to build in intrinsic motivation. To go along with that, they also lose the ability to build mastery around a thing. Adults feel like they have to get into a type of work and then they just do the work. And then their hobby is the thing that they actually enjoy. But at least their hobby, they're hopefully building some mastery around it. Well, kids want to build mastery around things too. And when we spend time protecting kids from situations or from not trying things as we think that they'll get hurt, then they have no opportunity to build that mastery. They Then they don't believe in themselves, which then leads them to, I don't know, just not thriving as an adult. Now, please understand, I don't have kids, so I, I am saying this partly from the information that comes from Johan's book and partly from my own uh, experience at the high school where I'm the strength conditioning co coach. And then partly, of course, from just being around parents and people who, you know, have kids. I live in a neighborhood. I see that just also being around other parents as well. So I'm putting it all and gathering it all from all these different contexts, not from my own personal experience. So you can take it with a, what other, whatever grain of salt you will. Nonetheless, um, Kids want to thrive and they want to be in an unstructured environment often so that they can be out and come up with ideas and do things that they enjoy and develop some mastery around whatever it is that they want to do so that they can feel like they have some sort of control over their own lives um, as adults do. All right, that leads us to our last two ideas. These last two ideas are sort of kind of summaries of um, like main points of the book. Idea number nine are the four layers of attention. Johan kind of puts these in. Um, he uses the analogy of lights, if you will. Actually, the first three lights, I think he takes from somebody else. I can't remember exactly who it was. And then he adds the fourth light. There, are, there is the spotlight, the starlight, the daylight, and stadium lights. So the spotlight, he is he's as an analogy for our immediate focus or our immediate attention, um, our focus on our immediate actions, I'm sorry. So our spotlight is our ability to focus on our immediate actions. Our starlight is our ability to focus on long-term goals. The daylight is our, our ability to focus on the why for those long-term goals. 
And then the stadium light is our ability to focus on others. So he talks about these in the context of how we need to improve our focus in these four different parameters. Um, our immediate focus, our long-term goals, our why for our long-term goals, and others. And whenever our focus is diminished through the ideas that he presents in the book, a lot of which we've gone over here, then we, we lose the ability to do that. I found this interesting and I correlated it also to the goals in which we've talked about. We talked about the three types of goals, process goals, outcome goals, and identity goals. The immediate actions can be correlated to the process goals. Remember the process is, are the actions that you take in order to achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve. Our long-term goals are, are the outcome that we're trying to achieve. Generally, it's a longer way down the road. Our focus, our identity goals are then the why, if you will. Our identity, if we believe we're the kind of person who wants to improve their health and fitness, then our why is based around that. And then the last thing, which I think may add another layer to our goals, uh, is the focus on others. I don't believe that that we t spend as much time focusing on others as we really should. Of course, we are ourselves, so it makes sense that we focus on us, but I do believe that focusing on others is also important, which is why I think it makes sense to add a layer to our goals um, and have another layer called universal goals. In other words, how do you want to leave an effect on the universe and on those around you? Or what's your goal for your impact on the universe and on those around you? Not only what's the process or what's the outcome or what's your identity, but what about those around you? Like, what's your goal for impacting everybody else? And I think if you start to improve your focus in general, then you can start to look outside of just you because we need other people. The book that I'm going to review after this is going to very much bring this to light, but we just, we need other people. No man is an island. We need others, and until we start to bring our focus to everyone around us, it's going to be very challenging for us to make any of the significant changes that we, that we say we want to make as a society. Which leads me to idea number 10, which is simply, you get what you fight for. You get what you fight for. So Johan puts this in the context of creating regulation to bring the focus of the focus, no pun intended, of these organizations toward social growth and away from economic growth. Like I said previously, a man named Martin Friedman developed, not developed, but Popular, popularized the idea of shareholder value or the purpose of business is to maximize shareholder, shareholder value. And that has led us down a whole big, I'll say downslide of focus on 
impact on community and on consumer and focus on bringing as much money to the top as possible. While money is very important for a business, actually, it is literally the lifeline of a business. Like no business can survive without it. I don't care if it's a nonprofit organization. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care what the business is. No, no, nothing can survive without money. Certainly true. Definitely. However, if your focus is not also, if you don't also have other focuses available for, for instance, we have three bottom lines that we focus on. We focus on profit. Of course, we also focus on health and fitness. What's the health and fitness results that we're getting with our members. Um, and then we also focus on our coaching. How good is our coaching? Our, is our coaching as good as it can be? We track these things very deliberately. So, uh, if you don't also have a focus on others, then it's going to potentially lead to a place where if you're focusing on economic growth only, probably you're going to let some morals and values slide to let yourself get there. I believe that most people do what they do because they think it's the right thing to do. And yet, sometimes without societal push, big, gigantic organizations will continue to do what they want to do without consequence. So... Johan's push is for us to fight for our right for security, our right to have our own thoughts and behave the way that we want to behave and not be manipulated. Now, of course, there's a very long road ahead. He acknowledges that. I totally acknowledge that. Um, but until we come together and band together as a society, like that's when big things have really happened. When society and communities have come together, that's when big shifts happen. So I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to do a quick review of the last five ideas. Remember, you can download these notes, go back and review all of this if you'd like, but you can download these notes for Soul and Focus at thrivology.us slash goodwolfbooks. All right, keep your SDP under control. That is stress, diet, and pollution. All of those have a big impact on your focus. Remember, caged living, idea number seven, caged living equals ADHD. Get yourself out and about, not only kids, but that is also for your adults. All work and no play makes Johnny a dull kid. Remember, while structured sport is definitely important and encouraged for kids, unstructured time is very important for their overall development as a human being. Idea number nine, or the four layers of attention, spotlight, our immediate actions, starlight, our long-term goals, daylight, our why for those long-term goals, and stadium lights, our focus on others. And then last but not least, you get what you fight for. So get out there and fight. Okay. All right, my friends, that's all I have for you today. Excited to cover our very first, first book, Sto uh, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Um, like I said, you can go and look and find all of our book reviews. This is currently the only one at thrivology.us slash goodwolfbooks. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.